Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. News doesn't stop happening on Fridays. With News Talk Radio at its weekend best, The Roy Green Show delivers on the Chorus Radio Network. We ask ourselves, is this the uh, beginning? Are we going to be seeing more and more and more of this kind of terrorist attack? ISIS says it's just the beginning. And uh, what do you do in response? Our first guest, uh, Jerome Godfroy, reporter in Paris, who lives in the neighborhood where both Charlie Hebdo and the attack on the restaurant took place last night, said, do you respond militarily? It has already happened, from what we understand. There has been a, a, a raid, an air attack on ISIS leaders in Libya. And there would, I imagine, have to be a significant military response, and fairly quickly, in order to drive home the point that uh, we're not just going to roll over and be victims, but how do you deal with isolated terror groups? As the BBC pointed out, the the first one was just eight, eight individuals who were um, self-supplied and self-sufficient, according to the uh, self-contained, according to the BBC. It also then raises the concern about homegrown terrorists who travel to, trained and fought with terror groups in the Middle East, and then return home and commit the kind of atrocities we witnessed. Uh, who are these people? Who are these people? Uh, the president of France, Francois Hollande, said this is an act of war by ISIS and planned from the outside. Joining me on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network is Colonel Steve Day, a retired former commander of Canada's National Counterterrorism Force, JTF-2, our Special Forces Joint Task Force 2 unit. Colonel Day, thank you very much for taking the time. And the, 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 I've seen some horrible things as a, as, a, as a journalist, some of them very personal, some of them on, on a large scale. I don't think I've seen anything that has affected me as emotionally as the last 24-plus hours in, in Paris. You? Oh, I'm, do I have to do that? Okay. Colonel Day, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Uh, yes. Uh, good afternoon, Roy. It's a pleasure to be back on the show with you to talk about these very challenging and complex uh, national security issues. I, I would agree with you. Um, the last 24, 48 hours uh, have been utterly horrific and tragic. Um, and it, it, these are challenging times for national security agencies when we try to balance the freedoms that are uh, demanded of our of our citizens in uh, Western liberal democracies, against the requirement to provide a safe and secure uh, homeland for us to prosper, live, and, and raise our families. So it's it's very challenging times right now. What do you expect the reaction to be in the short term? Uh, the French president promised uncompromising war, merciless war. And I suggested, and you would know far better than I, but I suggested there would have to be a rapid and significant military response of some kind. Well, I'm not convinced that's necessarily what we need to do, because I think what we, we, we need to realize across our political leadership that you've got to use all your levers of national power, you know, diplomacy, economic, military, political. And we, as the West need to sit down and have a discussion and dialogue about what are we prepared to do, how much gold, treasure, uh, blood and effort are we prepared to expend to try and stamp out this scourge, which is causing us no end of grief on a certainly monthly and in some cases yearly basis, depending on where you live. But it's 
uh, it's very difficult to uh, be using half measures to try and stamp out an, uh, an ide- ideology such as any extremist uh, point of view, quite honestly, like ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Al-Shabaab, any of these terrorist groups. Um, what is the role of Canada's National Counterterrorism Force, JTF2, which you commanded? What, what role can they play? How can the, how can the unit contribute to what you just outlined we need to at least consider? Well, again, if you look at JTF2 as one tool in the national security apparatus, it's certainly uh, supported by other elements that live within uh, the Canadian Special Operations capability, the command. It supports the RCMP, the Canadian uh, Security Intelligence Service, and all the other actors that allow us to either prevent, detect, deny, or respond to terrorism events. And, and what we need to appreciate, and again, free societies, for the most part, we are on our back foot um, responding to instances because it is very, very hard to prevent either a lone wolf attack or, as we are seeing, a small cell, 8 to 10 to 12 people, whatever the final number may be. These are very, very small organizations that live and walk and, and move amongst us daily. And in this case, we're presupposing and probably reasonably uh, correct in doing so. Uh, this may very, very well have been, at least some of them are groups of individuals who left their home country, in this case France, went to the Middle East, fought with ISIS or with other similar organizations, and come back and lay in wait until they decide to create the kind of havoc we saw yesterday. How do we get ahead of that curve? Well, it's very difficult to get ahead of that curve. And if, if we look at the incidences in Canada over the last year, um, some of these people actually never left Canada. They are a homegrown threat. It's disillusioned or deranged or folks with mental uh, instabilities. And it is very, very hard to, to try and safeguard everywhere, every day, unless you want to turn this into a police state, which nobody in Canada has any interest of doing. But what I, what I would suggest is to go back to your, your earlier question quickly. What can Joint Task Force 2 or what can the Special Operations of Canada be doing? It can be doing what it's doing today. We've got, we've got small task forces of, of Canadians deployed around the world, helping to build capacity in the Indigenous security forces where some of these, these challenges and conflicts are stemming from. So we look at Iraq and Syria. We've got folks on the ground today training those Indigenous forces to try and contain and defeat this, uh, this cancer. The, and I agree with you, absolutely. Uh, but the reaction at home is, it happened in Paris at the level and the scale we saw yesterday. It happened in Canada last year where we lost two members of our military to a calculated murderous attack. Uh, how do we uh, how do we how do we protect our country? How do we protect Canadians? And and I agree I agree with you again. We don't want to be a police state, but I think we're going to be hearing people more and more say, maybe I'll do a show on this. Do we need to sacrifice or give up some of the freedoms we have in order to be better protected, or is that too simplistic? not just too simplistic it's it's but it is a balance between those those two ends of the spectrum and quite frankly i believe in canada we have that balance uh, about right and so we uh, you and i had a discussion last year about c51 and and whether our agencies needed more powers uh at the time i said i did not believe so i said i believe they have all the legislative support they needed they just had a capacity and resourcing challenge and in some cases 
they had a challenge where they were not sharing between the agencies information appropriately enough. So we come back to Canada. I actually believe we've got the, the, the balance correct, and we do things um, um, when you compare us across the globe very, very well. Where we, where we run into challenges is when we have political leaders that don't appreciate that if we don't step up and be seen to be stepping up and supporting our global partners and allies, intelligence conduits begin to close down because if you're not in the arena with those men and women who are, you know, playing the game and getting dirty and getting bloody, then those other allies are not as inclined to be as open with the intelligence information to you. So indirectly removing the CF-18s from the coalition bombing on ISIS could cost us. I would argue it could potentially cost us. I would suggest strongly that the, the air mission paired with the special operations component on the ground in Iraq and in Syria is the exact type of mission Canada should be doing. I would suggest we should be on the offensive on the ground with our special operations personnel as well. We, we need to get on the offense and keep the puck in the uh, in the adversary's end, uh, to use a Canadian hockey analogy, there. If you're on the best defense is an offense, and I'm not suggesting we go out there and indiscriminately uh, kill, maim, or harm um, some of those those people in these trouble spots. We're talking about a surgical application of force to deal with this this cancer. So there's no sense going in to kill the patient. You need to go in there and surgically remove this this cancerous ideology and, and, and organism that is that is occupying the Middle East and spreading across uh, North Africa. I think my philosophical position is going to creep out here, but if that happens, and I agree with you, uh, if that happens, if we do go out and surgically deal with the cancer, you know what you're going to be hearing from at least some in the mainstream left wing of the media, and that is that men with guns are out there doing things again, and that's not helpful. That's not helpful either. Well, it's, it's, it's a great point, and, it, and I do agree. You need to have a political and diplomatic, um, those pillars need to be working as well. And, and right now, if we look at what's going on in the Middle East and North Africa and across Africa, we we're trying to solve a political and, and terrorist problem using only military resources, and that is not a recipe for success. You, we need to get the political, diplomatic, governance, education, and, and social uh, framework put in place to let, let some of these folks understand that there is a better way to live. An unconventional war being fought with conventional militaries. Hard to do. Bad idea. Hard bad to do. Idea. I, I, I tell you, that's a bad idea. And this, this again, is, as you and I have spoken about in the past, this is the lesson of, of Iraq and Afghanistan is that it's not that the conventional military forces are not made up of tremendous men and women. It's just that their skills are useful against a more conventional foe. When you get into unconventional, low-intensity conflict, the fewer Western boots on the ground, the better. And if you can support that with the appropriate decision-making and precision fires, whether that be from the air, from the sea, or from the land, now you've got a recipe for success because... You put Western boots on the ground in large numbers, and whether we like it or not, we're seen as an occupying force, and, and that's not helpful. Do you think it's going to? Do you think it's going to happen anyway? Uh, no, I, I don't. I, well, I don't know. I, I'm hoping we don't have to go back and relearn the lessons 
of of you know of Iraq and Afghanistan. I really hope I hope our politicians understand that putting in trillions of dollars and risking thousands and tens of thousands of lives and then pulling out after a decade is a waste of everyone's time. It's a waste of lives. And when we look at what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan, I know on my on my, my conventional warrior brethren um, have a have a strong viewpoint on this. My view is it was the wrong force package on the on the ground, given the wrong message. It took us too long to learn what we needed to do, and then we pulled out before the game was up. Colonel Day, please hold on. We're going to come back with Colonel Steve Day, the former commanding officer of JTF2, Canada's National Counterterrorism Force. It's the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I'm speaking with Colonel Steve Day, a retired former commander of Canada's National Counterterrorism Force, JTF2, Special Forces Unit. And uh, Colonel Day, so deal with the unconventional in an unconventional manner. Think your way through what you're doing is, is what I hear you saying. We, we also, though, have, and I'm just going to run this scenario by you because this is what I'm seeing. We have the story about one individual who blew up, blew himself up outside the uh, stadium in France, having had a Syrian passport, and it said he was a Syrian refugee. The Greek government, I think, has said, I may be wrong, but he, that he entered into Greece as a, as a refugee claimant. What happens is that, and I've seen it in emails, people start to worry about refugees, about commitments made to refugees, and they start to, in some cases, equate the refugee issue with terrorism. Now, speak to that, please. Well, I, well the, the two ideas are, are clearly linked because that's one of the reasons why the refugees are leaving you know, their homes to come to better, better locations. And there is no doubt in my mind that some of those disaffected, um, largely males, so I'll, I'll say it's largely males, that are streaming and trying to use the refugee pipeline to get into whether it be Europe or Canada or any other Western nation, there are going to be one or two or X number that squeak through the system. There, there's just no doubt in my mind that we're going to be able to screen effectively every possible applicant if we wish to bring in the numbers that we're trying to bring in. So when the, the current government's talking about 25,000 refugees within you know, by Christmas, effectively, or the end of the year, and we look at a system that habitually is only designed to bring in about seven to 8,000, you can well imagine that something's got to give in that screening process. If you're going to ramp that up to bring in three to four times the number we would normally bring in in a quarter of the time, there's going to be a gap somewhere. And I know I have many colleagues who are trying to work and solve this problem right now in Ottawa. What's the what's the concern that accompanies this? Now, I'll just maybe point the compass at uh, a needle at Europe. And I mentioned this to my last guest, in the, the, who was a reporter in Paris. And we know that uh, anti-immigrant political parties in Europe are gaining traction with voters increasingly. If you have another Paris or you have a, another similar situation develop in other parts of Europe, and there's a link, even with a, a small number of individuals who claim refugee status... All that does, does it not just drive the, the voter base or the, drive the emotion toward those political parties who would say no more immigrants, who, are, who have a really strong nationalistic attitude? Yes, I think you're 100% correct. And, and I, I just changed one of the words when you said 
if it happens, I would change that to when it happens. Yeah. Uh, like, like you and I spoke about last year, I, I had said at the time, we'll be talking about another incident in the future, and here again, within a year, we're talking about another incident. I will guarantee you, Roy, we'll be talking about another incident or two again within the next 12 months. It's just it's the nature of our times and the nature of this low-intensity global insurgency that we're currently living through. So I think it's incumbent upon the politicians to show national strength, character, and mettle, and statesmanship to be able to explain these threats and hazards to their populations so that they do not inadvertently, um, you know, start swinging towards the far right or far left or whatever political spectrum it may swing towards. That, but when politicians and certain political actors start to use these as issues, that's when we actually have a real problem. And, and I agree with you. There is a tremendous threat that uh, some people, some political actors, will try and you know, use these unfortunate, individual, utterly tragic, very tactical strikes to their own political benefit. And I, and I, I cannot state that enough. Terrorism will not and will never be an existential threat to any nation unless the population allows it to happen and gets fed by the politicians. Terrorism is not an existential threat. Utterly horrific, utterly individually tragic for the people that are involved, but eight people can't bring down a nation unless the nation-state itself overreacts. We have about a minute left. We have, uh, we've discussed what we should do. ISIS and uh, Al-Qaeda and those organizations have their own agenda. They don't care about what we think we're going to do or we should do. They have their own, uh, their own way or their own way to approach what they consider their end objective, their end goal to be. Would you be surprised if in the short term, I mean the very short term, Colonel Day, there was another similar attack somewhere in Europe, somewhere in the world? Oh, not at all. Not at all. I, yeah, again, bottom line is I would suggest certainly within the next 60 days, 60 to 90 days, there will be another assault of some type because it's a copycat ideology. This is not like Al-Qaeda or ISIS Central that is directing these attacks per se. These are small cells that are ideologically linked to the larger ideology. So we need a plan. We need a plan of action. We need politicians to work together, governments to work together. And uh, and respond uh, as one. Uh, hopefully, we can get that accomplished. I always enjoy the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you very much for the time today. Thank you, sir, and I always enjoy your show as well. Have a good day. All the very best, Colonel Steve Day, former commanding officer of JTF Two, the Joint Task Force Two, Canada's uh, counterterrorism force, National Counterterrorism Force, Special Forces Unit. Unlike many other Special Forces units globally, JTF Two has the right, or if they're called on by the federal government, to operate domestically in Canada. Other countries' special forces units only are mandated to work outside their borders. JTF2 is mandated, if it's called on by the federal government, to, to work inside Canada as well. We'll come right back.